nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Karim Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Times ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1. Some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website. Frustrate podcast as well. Of course, Pere Valverde was a huge part of the equation. Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. I am Kian Sabani and I'm joined by Ewan McTeer at his home on his couch in Madrid about one and a half hours after the game has ended, the Madrid derby at the Civitas Metropolitano. So here we are, Ewan, welcome to the show. Maybe uh, you have a great shirt and nobody has can see it because oh, yeah, they only see the mushroom if you uh, want to yeah. just show YouTube. It's a uh, proper, I don't know how to do it with the camera, proper Mario doing some... Uh, some graffiti. No, I should welcome, you. welcome, to, uh, welcome to welcome to my couch. <laughs> yeah, no, I, thank you. Uh, an ode to Mario Hermoso. Uh, well, Mario. I mean, he was the, the star of the the star of the show at the end. I uh, I did not see him say it, but I, heard, I saw a quote from All Black, yeah, which was, was disturbing. Yeah, uh, the ten man thing. Yeah, yeah, that was not what he said at all. <laughs> okay, was, so what was the actual quote? The no, problem is there's so many of these accounts they yeah. just tweet things and there's no credibility, there's no, no accountability. The quote, if it's the one you're saying, was um, yeah, we played with 10 men and that, that made it difficult in this game. No, he said that made it difficult in like the last minutes or so. Like, right. Yeah, he, um, yeah that was not uh, what, he, what he said. So. Alright, so this was a Madrid derby um, that was, we have to start with this, there's no yeah. two ways around it. Unfortunately, um, tainted quite a bit by racism that was disturbing disgusting unacceptable and inexcusable mm -hmm. and i think we have to start there and i have quite a bit of thoughts on it as i'm sure you do yeah. um so this i mean this starts way back obviously several mm -hmm. days and we've already covered that aspect yeah. of it now you fast forward to the game before the before the game starts mm. a couple hours before it must have been like I, so i showed up about an hour and a half before the game right I went in and, you know, the, I, I only go through that press door. Yeah, so I kind of maybe avoided right some of the crowd. So you don't really see much of the, the yeah. crowd, yeah. So then there's a video that circulates of... Mm. I, I, I don't even think it's right to say Atletico Ultras. Because, mm. yes, Atletico Ultras, but it wasn't just Atletico Ultras. Yeah. A large mm. contingent of people, racist chants, Vinicius is a monkey outside the stadium yeah. um, and it gets worse and worse as the images come out there's actual literally monkey dolls that yeah. people have brought this is documented now um, I just wanted to give you my perspective from being there because you and I were talking a bit about this off air yeah. and there was a strange sense of normalization about it when I was there mm. inside the stadium um, I, I will, quite frankly, I'm glad I didn't know who it was because I don't really, uh, it probably would have made me change pers perspective of who that publication was, but mm. the journalists sitting beside me, they actually, I heard them have a discussion about it in Spanish saying, um, let's not report this because mm. we should just wait to hear more, see more evidence when it's like, okay, it's like literally right there. Mm. Um, there inside the stadium as the game started i felt a little bit sick to my stomach um and i felt like i almost was like the only one i don't want to say i was the only one because i think there were, i've had i had conversations with people there about this as well mm -hmm. um vinicius's first touch is um you know met with booze okay they're booze whatever um there was a there was a situation in the first half when it was still zero zero where he lost the ball and the crowd started making monkey chants. Hmm. And it wasn't the ultras. Uh, if my, my seating perspective is I'm literally diagonally across from ultras, almost. Like, yeah. they're completely on the other side of the stadium. The chants were coming also from behind me and top of me. Mm -hmm. And so that was one aspect of it. I was thinking, this is crazy because there's no one even batting an eye about this here. Mm. There's, like, you know... I... It, I started to think about the fact that Florentino's banned Real Madrid Ultras yeah. like 20, 22 years ago now or whatever it was. And we know that the uh, uh, problems that Atletico fans have caused. Um, 
And so, but that being said, this is a whole different issue where it wasn't just the ultras, it was quite a significant portion of people inside the stadium were doing this. And like, if you go to UEFA's rules, UEFA has protocols for this stuff. Mm. You have to make announcements, you have to get security involved, you have to hold this accountable. Um, Finally, when Rodrigo scores, and I mean, it was a beautiful goal, which I would like to talk to quite a bit. (laughs) There's a PA announcement after... The celebration. And I kid you not, couldn't hear a word of what it was said. Have, it anyone, was drowned out by the crowd. Anyone, yeah, but has anyone also ever understood the PA announcement? Like, you never understood. It's pretty it's, muffled yeah, for me. Yeah, I, I heard one word, it was respect. Yeah. Um, so, uh, all messaged me on Slack. He said that PA, according to ESPN, and, mm. you know, and Kay confirmed this to me on Twitter, on DMs, she said that, yeah, it was basically, um, it was heard that, that was about throwing objects because yeah. objects were thrown at Rodrigo. Yeah. And so so there's that. And then you fast forward quite a bit. That was because um, I had tweeted about that instance, about the monkey chants and stuff. And people were asking me, like, you know, record some videos and stuff. That that, that tweet blew up. I didn't go back to it until halftime and, and mm-hmm. revisit it. And I said specifically when it happened. And I also said specifically that I don't see any action being taken and I don't see any action being taken. To me, what it what it felt like was, it was like, let's hope that this, the news cycle moves quickly and they forget about this because mm. I don't think they're going to take any action about it. Mm. So later on, there was a Vinicius incident in the second half and that's when I don't think I needed to even relay the message on Twitter. On no, TV, yeah. it was clear and that was even more people. Yeah. And so... Anyways, the point I guess I'm getting into is that you and I were talking about this off-air. Um, several of the foreign journalists there seemed more concerned by this. Yeah. And I could tell because I also know that Sid Lowe, who was sitting a few things a- across from me, like he was busy uh, writing his article, which was not about the game at all. It was about mm. the racist incident. And no one else even seemed to bat an eye, apart from the other foreign journalists there who were who were speaking about what was going on. So that was just concerning to me, and um, I just thought it was important to I don't know relay a message or a certain. The only thing that I've seen good come out of this has been the fact that there was so much awareness that came from the support that Vinicius got on social media. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah. Well, the support that Vinicius got on social media is is two things a lot of it related to the racism from midweek and then a lot of it related to what happened this Sunday night um, so there's the two there, there was the pre-match stuff and then there was the stuff during the game and I'm sure we're recording this now 90 minutes afterwards I'm sure when we stop we'll see the Real Madrid players other players have all finished their game gone to the dressing room picked up their phone and had something to say about it which is going to raise awareness when you have players Current Real Madrid players and you know icons Neymar, Pele tweeting about these kind of things. I'm sure they'll have something to say about um, what actually happened in the game as well. Um, but you, you sort of alluded to this of the foreign journalists really did seem to notice and care about this a bit more. And you used the word normalized. I think that's maybe the thing to refer to the Spanish side of it because in the press conference, which is all Spanish journalists that get the the question, especially in the post-match, there wasn't a single question about the racism of it. There was one question about Vinicius, about how he handled this week and the pressures, and but not specifically about um, the racist uh, comments in midweek or what was happening during the game. Uh, that was from the Spanish journalist at the press conference. I think it's also we also said this just off air. It's important, maybe, maybe this is a, a glimmer of hope to, to mention that this is maybe older Spanish journalists and younger Spanish journalists, yeah, did did mention this. Yeah. You know, yeah. Mario Cortajana uh, for one, and, and Marca Miguel Quintana as well, and Dazen. These are younger journalists about our age who did notice this um, and report a bit more on it than the older ones. Uh, Cadena Copi as well uh, deserve credit for the video, the first video that I think was the one that went the most viral um, about a couple hours before the game. So. That's still not great, but this is maybe like some sort of reassurance for the future that younger Spaniards do also think that this is a problem and that's good for the future. Um, but at the same time, it is a bit concerning that most Spanish media didn't pick up on this and seemed maybe a little bit more concerned with just the football and the basketball and the sport 
And this seems like, well, we led with this at the very start of the podcast. This seems like the derby that will be remembered for uh, the the racism more than the goals, probably. When you think about it in five years' time, will you remember the 2-1 Hermoso getting sent off? Mm, probably not. Um, you know, I, I, I got to say, like, and it's not even that they really have to prove it to anyone, but... I'm really impressed with the mentality of Rodrigo mm. and Vinicius. Yeah. Like, to just be that cool and composed. I mm-hmm. mean, obviously, I'm sure there was some adrenaline in them, but their mentality spoke volumes to me. Yeah. Like, the, the ability to perform under pressure like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not... It was a heated game. Like, you mm-hmm. know, we spent so much time before the game. And, and I can't believe that... Because by... What, what is it today? Sunday? Mm. When was the Koke comment? Wednesday maybe so something like that midweek whatever it was there was like this almost this feeling of like okay this is what he said may have been taken out of context and proportion Mm. and it was like just like this thing that we were trying trying to label as a non-story and then next thing you know it someone makes a really racist comment on Spanish TV and then like it just I couldn't believe that this all, all of a sudden this is what this is well, this is thing. Can I read out a line from the piece you mentioned, Sid's piece? Because yeah, I went and looked I at it, read it to see what he said. And there's one line that he said that was sums up the whole thing, um, the whole week, from almost like a chronology point of view, but just also. Okay. So this is what Sid said. What was initially an almost entirely fabricated debate had built up all week, and eventually, with depressing inevitability, ended with racist abuse overshadowing the derby. That's like the before, during, and after. That's what happened. Was. It was this debate that was fabricated, and then this has already been covered, but um, just to, to take it from start to finish, a debate that was fabricated, what would Atletico fans do if Vinicius scores? At this point last week, last Sunday, no Atletico fan thought about going to the stadium and throwing anything at Vinicius, booing Vinicius, being racist to Vinicius. Nobody thought about this this time last week. Yeah. This debate was invented, what if he scores? Um, Vinicius had never scored in the Madrid derby. There was no reason to... I mentioned this other than the fact that he's been dancing after after goals and, and looking for controversy. Some some journalists thought, well, well maybe this does get a little bit... Um, something bad could happen here. Almost willing it to happen for, for a juicy story. That then gets... Um, it's a bit of a non-story. Koki doesn't really help himself by saying, you know, there could be Leo, which is not the easiest word to translate. Some have said it's trouble. doesn't really... A mess, you know. There'll be a response. From Atletico fans, could some meant that he was saying fans might throw things. Some took it to mean just they'd be angry. Either way, that was up to that point. The typical pre-derby issue, they always have to invent something. Some sort of controversy. Last time it was the Pasillo, the Guard of Honor. Or, will Real Madrid sign this? But there's always something. Up to that point, normal. The racist comment on El Chimaguito is basically what starts and takes it into a new dimension. And I think then sets in motion a series of events that nobody helps himself along the way. It could be stopped at every single point and nobody helps himself. And this is, you mentioned it, you've got to be so proud of Vinicius and Rodrigo and a few of the other Real Madrid players because I don't think anybody comes out of this looking good apart from Vinicius, Rodrigo and a couple others. Like, you go through the list, the the media that invented the story, that persisted with the story, Koke was a bit clumsy with his words, Ancelotti I wasn't really impressed with either, to be honest. In the pre-match press conference, kind of said it was a non-issue. Um, you just look at everybody, the Atletico Madrid fans. And Chiladi, by the way, has said previously that racism doesn't exist in Spain. He said that on, well, he said on Friday that um, in response to the Chiringuito comment, he said, I don't usually see this type of racism in Spain. He started mm-hmm. off his answer with that, started it off with that. That was his very first comment, was, I just like to underscore, I don't think... Uh, this type of racism usually exists in Spain. That was exactly what he said to to start his answer. Um, he didn't really see it was much of an issue, so you've got to be a bit disappointed with with Ancelotti as well, with El Chiringuito, with the the racist comment there, of course, with the Atletico Madrid fans who were racist on Sunday night. Also, to be honest, with with many Real Madrid fans who almost seem to take glee in the fact that there was racism for point scoring purposes. Like you saw that with some of the responses to the video, going back and looking back at uh, debates they've had over the week. Ah, <clears throat> oh, look, you see, they were racist. That's not the point either. Really, it's just nobody came out of this looking good, apart from, I think, uh, Vinicius, Rodrigo, and a few others in the squad. 
a few others have posted uh, messages in support of him. Even Real Madrid as a club, they put a statement out, took a while to come out, didn't really say too much in the statement they put out. I think that was on Friday by that point. So it's kind of just been an ugly week, ugly incident for almost everybody except for the player at the start of it, the one who's been accused to begin this whole debate of being provocative, has kind of been the only non-provocative person in this whole um, this whole week. There's one more, I think, I don't want to leave off the mm. hook. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm trying to remember them all, but no, there's, no, so, I know. No, there's no, so many no, people no. that have that come out of this looking looking bad that I can't even name them all. I no, think for I, sure. The clubs, the fans, the uh, the media, but what else? The journalists, yeah. The, I think Koke could have chosen his words Koke, better. Yeah. Uh, However, you did mention Koke, and I, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't think Koke is. Koke was clumsy. Koke, like Koke, doesn't know like Koke, when he says this, yeah. if there's going to be a thing. Like, okay, so here's, I'm, yeah. I gotta be careful, but a lot of people said that Koke started this. No, well, I, the racism element of it, he did not start. The issue of what happens if Vinicius dances. He played a role in that, but it wasn't until El Chiringuito, which was after Koke's comments, that the racist elements of this and that debate entered the thing. So Koke, what he said was absolutely not racist at all. He just said, yeah, there could be a bit of a problem if Vinicius dances. That was it. Um, clumsy, but, you know, mm, not the worst in, in all of this and certainly not part of the racist element of it that has been more so uh, Friday, Saturday and especially Sunday night. I, my my theory also is because I don't think Koke started the racism part of it either. Mm. I don't think he can predict that you know based on that someone's going to go say that. But I also am willing to bet that whether Koke said that or not, we would have seen those racist things on Spanish TV because it was inevitable, and you can kind of see it mm. starting to trickle into the media. The anyway. debate was already, ever since Vinicius yeah. started dancing. People started to. Um, you know, going all the way back to like mm-hmm. the, the whole Ag- Aguirre thing well, was yeah. not even like no one cared about that because well, Aguirre is not a big name. But just um, since we're kind of talking about this, just to go back to where the Vinicius dancing thing started, because this is how the as as Sid put it, um, the fabricated debate started, which then led to the the racist elements we've seen on 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 the weekend. But the debate started with Vinicius dancing. Is he provocative? This kind of thing. It started from a good place, and I think it started from Real Madrid journalists, and it started in the game at Celtic, right? We actually talked about this on the the live podcast we did, and yeah. um, Vinicius scores a goal in the goal where the Real Madrid fans are in one corner and the Celtic ultras are in the other corner. Mm-hmm. He runs to the Celtic fans, goes off the pitch, and starts dancing in front of them, and a few things are thrown. Someone who was actually at the game mentioned on the live podcast that he thought he saw a banana. Actually, that was not true. Like, when they looked into it, it was a hot dog was thrown a few bottles still not good but at the Celtic game there was nothing racist about it and actually nobody in any media really picked that up at all so at this point um, all that was worrisome was that Vinicius was dancing in front of away fans and a few bottles were thrown at this point I think Real Madrid had to have a word with Vinicius privately and I think they might have because up until then all of the dancing he'd done was at home games or away grounds that were Full of Real Madrid fans, Espanol, Celta, you know, Almeria as well. They've been to the goals he'd scored were in stadiums where there's a lot of Real Madrid support. And you can kind of leave the white lines of the pitch and run and dance in front of away fans, and actually, most of them are Real Madrid fans, and you're fine. The Celtic one, and this is more just Vinicius not knowing where he is more than anything, because looking at the pre match press conference he did that day. Vinicius, you could tell, didn't really know almost anything about Celtic. And that's fine. You're not supposed to. It's a Champions League game. He'll look sure. at the videos Angelotti tells him to and that's it. Yeah. He doesn't know that in that corner of Celtic Park is the ultras who are quite serious ultras. You'll, they'll be in the headlines today as well for um, a stunt they pulled during a minute's silence or a minute's applause for the Queen that, um, in their game. Um Against St. Mern, by the way, my team who beat Celtic. Ah. Just you guys want? We want. You right. know, this is relevant to Real Madrid podcast. Is, the, I love how you said this. In the, in, this um, whole story was the, a sneak in St. Mern. They're in the, the same group, but no. Uh, I, it started in in Celtic Park because Vinicius scores a goal and runs and celebrates in front of the Celtic fans. A few things, no banana, but a few things are thrown, and this is not good. After that, Real Madrid journalists start to ask Ancelotti, "What do you think about the Vinicius celebrations? Is it a problem?" Because I think they have seen, and they know, they they have covered football for longer than Vinicius has been alive. 
they know Celtic Park. They would have seen him running towards, away from the Real Madrid fans and towards the Celtic Ultras and thought, oh no. Nothing happened, really, thankfully. He didn't get hit with anything. But they, I think, maybe saw, ah, this could be a problem in certain stadiums, in certain situations. Since then, they had a couple of home games. They haven't had to have another hostile away game until Atletico Madrid. And I think that is why this debate that was kind of fabricated came up because this was the first hostile atmosphere that Vinicius was going into since the Celtic Park one, where I think some experienced journalists saw we were really close to that going wrong there, him running and dancing in front of the away fans, the ultras, and a few things getting thrown. And I think this is where the debate started. And then it kind of just took so many twists and turns that we can't even cover them all. Some terrible thoughts, a few sensible thoughts. But I think it started, just to go back to to, to the reason for the story, it wasn't just to, to mention St. Myrna uh, getting the win. I think this started from a good place of Real Madrid, because it was in Real Madrid press conferences, Real Madrid supporting journalists, who were genuinely worried that this could become a problem if Vinicius kept dancing in front of hostile away fans. I forgot to mention who it was that I think we shouldn't take off the hook. Oh, yeah. It was the reporter who was re- interviewing Coque. Yeah. Susanna Guash. Yeah. Knows exactly what she's doing, pushing the buttons to, to create something. To, like Jose and I were talking about in the preview. Mm-hmm. The Madrid Derby is a pretty boring game. Yeah. It's really overhyped. So I'm sure she knows exactly what she's mm-hmm. doing just to add some fuel to the fire, pushing, pushing, because pushing, to see how, how you, far it goes. You're about to say this, I'm sure. But Koki answered the question, said, you know, everybody can celebrate how they want. If, initiative, if that's his style, then that's fine. And it was only when she persisted. But the fans would surely be angry, no. When he said, yes, there would be a lot a lot of Leo, that would be normal. It was only when she insisted. He'd already given the answer, and it was when she insisted. And, you know, um, I guess that's her job, is to try and get attention to this video and stuff. But it's not it's not helpful because you gave Koki an honest chance to say whatever he wanted. And his first answer was better than the second one when he was pushed and... Then was a bit more clumsy with his. Yeah, there could be a problem. Is it, uh, uh, movie star? Movie star, yeah. Movie star, give us the mic. We'll ask tactical questions. We won't. We will never yeah. do this. We will ask tactical it questions. True. All right. Speaking of tactics, let's let's <laughs> let's do that. Can we do this? I mean, we're twenty one minutes in, twenty two yeah. minutes into the podcast. But I think it's. I think it was important. You know, like no, um, I absolutely because, was. like we said, like in five Some years, are more in five years sport. time, this is the derby that will be remembered. For this reason, so I think every podcast we start with the the main story, and that was uh, sadly the the main story from this one. It was it was a bigger. There are just some things that are bigger, and mm. people, uh, you know, in the end, we cover a game where people are kicking around a sphere on a grass, mm. and that's what we do for a living. And you know, when there are stuff like this that are broader perspective, there are human human rights mm-hmm. issues or racism issues they have to be talked about mm-hmm. we have to denormalize this this is crazy reflections of society in general you know yeah. uh, you see it through a football match but it, it tells you a much bigger and more important uh, story than than these this game in three points so it's interesting because i was on the metro from the stadium to your house mm. i was uh Basically, I, I, I snuck in uh, with the sardines and like with the Atletico yeah. fans and I, you know, was able to find some elbow room to just go look at some yeah. stats and stuff and look it up. And one by one, people get off and yeah, with yeah. each stop, you have more arm room and to, then more people to get look on. at stuff. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, gradually it decreased. Um, but I got off at Seoul, so people were just basically mm. piling in more and more. <laughs> so, yeah, just, so anyways, so I was looking at some data and really, I, you know, it kind of reflected what I was taking notes on throughout mm. the game and that... Um, this was an eventful derby. A lot of the stuff that made it eventful on the field was there was a lot of brawls, a lot of, you know, mm. scuffles and stuff. The chances created were very few and far between. I think the XG was like 1-1 basically for both teams. Yeah. And I think my, my assessment of basically how this played out like in, in a kind of basic analysis is that I think uh, Simeone got it wrong to start. Mm. And Ancelotti got it right. And to elaborate on that, you know, Atletico did not defend deep. Mm-hmm. They were in this mid-block. And I think the problem with it was that they weren't pressing high either. They were just kind of there. They let Chuomeni get the ball deep. They let Cruz and Modric have a lot of room to spray passes around. They mm-hmm. let Courtois just have the ball and just pass it easily. 
So that initial line of defense was really shaky and wobbly for them. It was not efficient. And once they got um, beyond that, you saw it in both goals. Mm. I mean, Fede just carving them up. And then their their line is high. Like mm-hmm. they have, they've given Vinicius and Rodrigo and Fede space to run into yeah. and time on the ball for Modric and Manny Cruz to hit those passes. And and so you, I thought it was brilliant the way Real Madrid took advantage of that. You could yeah. see it. Like as soon as they pass it, Vinicius and Rodrigo will just sprint behind the line. And you saw it in both goals for the second second goal, which was Fede's goal. Mm. Vinicius pass, sprint, gets it. Unlucky not to score, it's the post, but Fede just comes charging down and makes no mistake. Mm-hmm. And then the, the first goal was a thing of beauty. I've watched, yeah. I didn't see the replay at a time. Mm. I watched it several times on the Metro yeah. and I was like, every, and I was like, this is, this is magic from Chulmeni, mm-hmm. from Fede, the way they progressed the ball, the pass, the pass and move from Rodrigo to get in the box to finish was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, from watching it on 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 TV, I I don't know. It depends on on everybody's broadcaster, but too many seem to get so little credit for for the past. You know, <laughs> um, hardly seen too many mentioned um, at all for for anything of his performance, which was good throughout, but mm. for the goal especially. But no, you're right. Like this was pretty terrible from Atletico to begin with, and kind of predictable. I mean, Atletico have changed the last few years. They're not four four two defensive Atletico anymore. They play with the back three, but it's a back three. It's not a back five. Mm-hmm. It's um, the the wing backs. They get high, so you have three centre backs who are very exposed when they play this higher line. Um, if you ping balls over into space, normally two of those three centre backs are Stefan Savage and Jose Maria Jimenez, who are both really good. The third one that they brought in halfway through last season is Reinaldo, who's also done really well. Those three going up against the three forwards of, for example, Real Madrid with uh, Fede, Rodrigo, Vinicius, that could work. That's one-on-one battles. This was not that back three. Those two guys are injured. And you had Axel Witzel, who's a 33-year-old midfielder. Uh, Felipe, who's also 33, and is Felipe. And Reinaldo, who had one of his, his poorest performances. Probably a bit stressed by what was going on around him. Simeone, this is you know not to blame it on on injuries. Simeone, every team has injuries. Simeone knew what those injuries were, though. I don't know why he thought he could still play that same way against Real Madrid with let the three centre backs deal with the three forwards and don't give them help. Don't try a back four. Don't play more defensive wing backs and make it more of an actual back five. I don't know what he was thinking. I think he thought they could win their individual battles, and it just you could just see the first goal. Felipe tries a sort of <coughs> karate kick. He's 33, that doesn't work. The second goal, Felipe, as well as ball-watching. is Again, credit to Real Madrid. They move it about quickly to get Vinicius in, but he's ball-watching, and before he knows it, he's already got a... Uh, Vinicius has a head start on Felipe, and Vinicius is winning that battle even if he starts 10 metres behind Felipe. So, yeah. um, And to be honest, this is just a more individual mistake than, than Simeone's, but um, everybody, again, is ball-watching and not checking Valverde for the, the rebound, which hits off the post but it could easily have been an all black save into the path of uh, Fede and nobody was ready for that so uh, poor from the individual defenders poor from Simeone to think they could cope with this what was not a surprising front three we knew those three were going to start and um, that's how they lost the game so they you know I think they fixed that in the second mm. half like they started to it was press. too late but yeah it was like did. so yeah and that was I was going to say my basic analysis is also they started to like basically when they scored from that and like they were better in the second half but I think when they scored is like even though they were better in the second mm. half they didn't really have many clear cut chances they had mm. a higher volume of things happening mm-hmm. but I thought Ram just still defended well mm. in, in this game uh, and then when Atletico scored that's like kind of when you see them getting more and more momentum and, and going and, and starting to do something but I think that in part had to do with Simeone deciding okay Let's press more aggressively. They start to make Courtois a little more com- uncomfortable mm-hmm. on the ball. And um, that was just better because in the first half, they were in between two worlds, neither mm-hmm. pressing nor defending deep and giving yeah. a lot of space. Uh, I do want to say, having said that, in the second half, though, I mean, it's, it's funny because it mm-hmm. says the flipped Real Madrid. Usually it's the second half where it's they... It's true. This right? was the first game where we've seen the opposite, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, despite that... I thought some of the passing sequences were breathtaking mm. uh, from Real Madrid in the second half under pressure mm. in tight spaces, tight quarters. Modric was amazing. Like mm-hmm. I said this on Twitter on the Managing Madrid Twitter account, but I, when I was watching Modric, it didn't feel like I was watching 
a 37 year old it felt yeah. like i was watching a player in his peak just yeah. playing football like mm-hmm. it's like i i don't see I, it's amazing he's amazing yeah. man. he's really like genuinely like it's not that he's good for his age it's like yeah. no he's literally one of the best center midfields mm-hmm. in the world right now yeah. he's doing unbelievable things so uh, yeah, I, I thought his composure in the second half was also important for the team. I thought Rudiger off the bench was really good too, his leadership mm-hmm. and everything. Um, I wanted to ask you about Griezmann starting. Hmm. Surprised? Not really. A, li- a little bit, of course, because we, we know the story of Griezmann that uh, Atletico don't want to pay Barcelona 40 million euros, so they're not using them, so they don't hit the number of... Um, appearances which only count for if he plays over a certain number of minutes so he's been coming on at the hour mark pretty much every game but it's not he can still play some games and they can still count a few more towards that tally so you thought I guess at the start of the season that they're going to save it for important games so there's no more important than the home derby so I wasn't that surprised to see him to see him start no I is it does this affect the clause I'm unclear on that so this should count as a game that he has played for Atletico Madrid towards the close. So they're one game closer to... I don't know what exactly the number is, but like... What a this, strange clause. This, well, it's quite common actually, like in, in loan deals. Um, I guess it feels strange because it's the first time we're seeing someone like actively being well, played less. just as a little aside, uh, Barcelona did the exact same thing with Yusuf Demir last year where they were one game away from having to buy him from Austria Vienna so they stopped playing ah. him and sold him back. So just in case Barcelona, um, <laughs> Evil Barcelona kick up a fuss about it. Um, every club, not every club, many clubs have clauses like this and, and many maybe would look for a way to not pay it if they can't afford to, which is the case here. Mm. Um, so since the start of the season, Griezmann has only had one appearance really count towards his Tally, which is this one, because it was only if he played over a certain number of minutes. So, But you're going to use that at some point, I think. What's interesting is what happens now if he plays next games, but we'll see. But you're going to have Griezmann, I think, for this game, because this is the thing for Atletico Madrid. He's he's their best player this season. So far this season, yeah. Griezmann, by minutes, has been their best player. Literally, number of shots per minute, number of goals per minute, two outside-the-box uh, goals, uh, number of high-intensity actions, I think they call it. Uh, per minute, Griezmann tops all of these ones for Atletico Madrid. Mm. So he's been their best player by far this season. He's only got to play the last half hours of games. That's a problem for them in their whole season. But for this game, not too surprising that they want to use one of those uh, appearances. But um, just wasn't. I thought Griezmann was good. I don't know you. You saw him there bad, no, so off the ball. But I thought he was. I thought he was good. It's just it was more midfield and defensively that uh, there was problems well my my notes on him were mostly that um, I thought he was important in the first half he because him dropping deep several times mm. was what helped Atletico escape some yeah. counter pressing sequences and I thought you know his link up play dropping deep yeah. was really important for Atletico's build up structure he drops really really deep yeah. picks it up and is the link between midfield and attack because often tactically there is no no link other than that so yeah um, I gotta say like it's not, I didn't feel bad for him, but like mm. I've always had a soft spot for Zhao Felix. Mm. Um, he's like one of the Atletico players that I really like because I like his style of play. Mm. And when he comes off the field in the second half, mm. I was like, oh yeah, Zhao Felix is playing. Yeah. He had like almost no touches, no mm, service. Yeah. He would have benefited more from being in the second half version of Atletico that was more aggressive when yeah. the ball high up the pitch and getting more touches. Uh, I totally agree with you. I think... Griezmann starting with Joe Felix was more surprising to me than him starting with Morata. And then you bring on Joe Felix. Mm. Uh, again, that would be controversial in its own way, but um, then you had two players, neither of whom was a, a reference, and you had to have Griezmann come to pick up the ball to have anything really happening. So, yeah, Joe Felix was isolated. Also, when he did get the ball, he really had a poor game. Um, when he got substituted off, he marched down the tunnel. Eventually came back out, sat in the dugout again, but... Um, he wasn't happy, but um, tactically it wasn't the easiest game for him, but he also he, he didn't do much with the little that he had. So Difficult one all round from, from Atletico, but I think it really starts with the defence more than, than Griezmann, Jao Felix, and um, <coughs> the midfield, the wing-backs. I think it was more the, cent- the three central defenders and the, the decision to play this sort of half-and-half approach of, of you know press a little but not well and, and play a, a high line and leave your, your three centre-backs exposed. So, just back to Real Madrid for a second here. Mm. Um, I have a couple questions for you. 
uh, so Alex Crookler and I were talking at halftime about like yeah. how they've been able to do all of this without Benzema. Yeah. And just it's just remarkable how mature and developed it, like Fede, Rodrigo and Vinicius look right now. Yeah. And like it's 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 not just like one in a blue moon type thing for them anymore. It's like mm-hmm. every game they're just showing up and showing up and showing up and uh, I think Phil tweeted this 11 goals, I think it is. Uh, yeah, so since Benzema went down, 330 minutes, and 11 goals scored, two conceded. So I think, uh, so let me preface this by saying that I still think Benzema, absolutely, I can't yeah. wait till he gets back. It's a no-brainer. He is the best striker yeah. on the team. Add that out of the way. Yeah. I think a lot of us got our perception of what this team looks like without Benzema skewed from last year's Classico because mm. Modric played as a false nine, mm. which now obviously makes no sense. It didn't make sense and doesn't make no sense now. But if you put Rodrigo there, and I feel like that Celta game where Hazard came off the mm. bench is, it feels like two years yeah, ago yeah. now because he had a bad game against Mallorca and we haven't seen him since. Yeah. I got so much criticism that day for saying that it, Rodrigo was our best false nine, now Hazard. Because mm, we talked about it after that one, and you were like, the yeah. headline is Hazard, what was it? The goal, assist, and pre-assist. Yeah, I think. three, three, yeah. But, and I think I was saying it too, the goal was 90% Carvajal, the goal that Hazard scored. So take that out, and But, ha- Hazard, but did, Hazard did have the shoulder check in that's the, true, the finger point. That's true, I hadn't seen at the time, but still, you know, <laughs> well done for Hazard for being the coach. Um, you know, that maybe he can stay on the sidelines and still point. That's allowed, um, so he can... Tell Carvajal where to where to put the ball Poor from Hazard. from the dugout. Well, no, I think we were both kind of in agreement of like Hazard came in, he did well, credit to him. He wasn't expecting to come on and play an hour. Yeah, he did. But that doesn't mean Hazard is suddenly the solution for for no Benzema. He started the next game, but since then we haven't seen him. So um, um, yeah, Benzema of course will be back after international break. But um, yeah, this is one of the points I was I was just writing there on the uh, free questions, free answers piece was. Benzema obviously comes back who do you take out or do you put Fede in, in midfield because these three guys are, are so young so energetic so like you mentioned in sync like they really do get each other it reminds me of times you know like did you ever have like, as a kid like this electric track, uh, track where it was like um, it was like the race cars and they have the sort of lines and they kind of all zip in, the, in and out of each other like the race car kind of it was like you press a button and it was called like Scalatrix or something you had like the the board and it was like they had these little rails that the cars would go along and they all kind of looped in and out and they all kind of wove in and out of each other this is what these guys are like if you didn't know it then um, oh it's like it's like a racetrack with two two two, cars two two lanes yeah and they kind of zip in and out of each other yeah okay yeah like that's what they're like they're like the three of them and they when Freddy's running forward and drives centrally Rodrigo's going right or maybe Vinicius is going right and Rodrigo they just they intertwine they you know they have their set positions when it's a goal kick when things are more settled when the game's more more slowed down but when there's a break they they are interchanging like honestly like BBC like uh, like prime like um Ancelotti previous edition but with so much more youth and energy so um there is Benzema a fluidity in there changes that because even if those three play it's with a different dynamic because it's built around Benzema but um yeah, they've been they've been impressive, and apart from Hazard doing an hour or so, um, maybe a bit more. It's been these three that have carried the the load since uh, Benzema went down. So here's my question to you: Seeing how this is functioning now, you described it really well. Seeing how good Fede's been this year, I lost mm. track of how many goals he's contributed to, both mm. indirectly, directly, yeah. goals, assists, pre-assists, runs. And seeing what Rodrigo has done, do we now reflect on all the uproar from the summer saying we should have signed, we should have signed a right winger? Mm. Does that, do now do we have to look back and say, and I, I, I am clear, my conscience is clear. I was from the beginning saying mm. what I said. I said, we don't, we shouldn't sign someone just for the sake of signing yeah. someone because I don't want minutes away from Rodrigo. I will say, I will admit I definitely did not see Fede doing this well on the right wing. I saw him better mm. as a central midfielder. However, he's doing amazing there. So the question is, was the club... Is it in hindsight? Mm. Imagine, like, should... Ha- I like Madrid- hindsight questions because, like, then you already know the answer. So that's good. Well, like, imagine if Real Madrid had signed a right winger mm. 
and we never got to see these minutes go to Fede and mm. Rodrigo. That's my that was mm. my concern from the beginning because I don't think we get this version of Fede and Rodrigo if they're playing less. In hindsight, well, they obviously didn't sign a right winger. I think if they had, they would have signed someone not starter level. So maybe these minutes would have gone to Fede anyway. Remember, he was the right winger for most of the Champions League run. Um, he already was playing right wing. Um, does Rafinha take how much? How much does like theoretically does Rafinha take away from? These sure, teams? if they sign someone of like Rafinha's level, then sure he would probably be starting, and Fede would be on the bench, and we wouldn't have seen this. But if they had just signed, you know, basically my my opinion on it at the time was if they sell Asensio, they need to replace that for the numbers. If mm-hmm. they don't sell Asensio, then Asensio is absolutely fine as your like third choice winger, which I still think they need because remember they've been quite fortunate so far with injuries apart from Benzema. Militao for a couple games. It's been fairly okay with injuries. Lucas Vasquez is one that um totally different part of the pitch. But um if, for example, Rodrigo or Fede or Asensio or two at the same time go down, then all of a sudden you do need someone there to be um a right winger because um I don't think Peter is is is, is there. So you know, um uh, I think they needed someone for numbers, so perfect. Keep Asensio, and he is going to come in. And when you want to give rest, because it's not just about who starts. It's all. Sometimes we think, ah, well, if um, there's one injury, well, we can just start. If Rodrigo's injured, well, we just start Fede. It's like no, but if you've got a big game coming up in midweek, you want to play Fede, be winning three nil, and substitute him off in the seventieth minute. You need those numbers, and they obviously lost Bale, who made up part of those numbers. Asensio, they had to keep him or sign someone of that level. But you're right, if they had signed a starter, it would have been a shame because I think it would have been a stopgap solution and would have hindered this progress that we maybe didn't know, Angelotti maybe didn't know was was possible. Well, yeah, my argument was always that, you know, you mentioned Peter, but the the one I'm really high on is Arribas. And like, if mm. if it's like going to be a, a backup level player to provide minutes to come off the bench, I would have rather be been a Castilla product. Mm. Uh, but... Um, you know, speaking of energy and subs and stuff like that, if when the game the game like towards the end was like really off the rails, like it mm. seemed like you just had to like get it under control and yeah. like, and just it was a derby. Game. It's like yeah, you cannot plan for those last when the derby is one goal. The last, well, the last ten minutes, energy. you cannot plan. It's partly just about um, all the kind of things that are not tactics that you cannot practice on the training ground because it's not the real situation even if you're Mikel Arteta pumping in crowd noise or whatever you cannot plan for these kind of things it's just it comes with experience it comes with a winning mentality which this team has a mix of that with the way Ancelotti said it so many times the the experience of the veterans and the the energy of the of the youth and you know you bring in someone like Rudiger who's kind of in the middle of those two two things just now his first derby but he, he knows what he's doing and you see it over the line. Um, you know, even Sabayos coming in, <laughs> get kind of flops a little bit and gets her muscle sent off. That's part of it too. In a derby, you don't plan that these are going to be the scenarios. You can't plan for these situational moments. But if you're experienced enough, have won enough derbies, big matches, you you squeeze it over the line. Uh, that's how you do it. Yeah. Um, I got to say though, like when you're trying to match intensity and mm. at that stage of the game, there's not really many better subs you can bring on in terms of intensity than like Ceballos, mm. Kamavinga, and Rudiger. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know, like Ceballos. I get tired watching Ceballos. He's just nonstop. Like it's like one of those. Mm. Um, you ever been to like a science center? Yeah. And you see just like uh, one of those like uh, lightning things, like that just uh, like go yeah, yeah, back and forth. Yeah, yeah. it's like it's like he just it's like, it looks like Sonic the Hedgehog. He, he, we've said this, but he makes a point of like putting in a proper, proper run yeah. in his first minute to sort of show I'm here. Even yeah. for the next time if he doesn't... His presence to, is known. Yeah, and he and he contributes to that. He, yeah. he really makes a thing of it in the first minute, whether in uh, minute one of a game if he's starting or um, like he did, I think it was Mallorca he started yeah, and he, he chased great. down like three players <clears throat> in a row or when he comes on as a, as a sub. What did you think of Rudiger not starting? Because there was a lot of calls. I saw part of the Vinicius debate, are they going to try and hurt Vinicius? A lot. I saw at least a lot of Real Madrid fans calling. Let's get Rudiger in there because he is, mm. you know, He's the leader, the like guardian. The I saw it compared to like the enforcer in ice hockey. Like you know, he's going to be there he is just the to be like glaring at everybody so nothing happens. He didn't start. Ancelotti went with probably I would say his two best 
centre backs in terms of quality, uh, Alaba and, and Militao, and Leif Rudiger, who's a bit more of has a quality for sure, but would have been more of a sort of leadership kind of reason for picking him. He didn't do that. But what did you think of well, that? From I think like, that was the main doubt in the lineup. Yeah, from like a personality standpoint, I think he's the closest thing we've had like since Ramos, mm. like Pepe, that kind yeah. of leader, yeah. the guy who will like come and stick up for your teammates. Yeah. Oh, Alaba's great at that too. Alaba uh, does in a more quiet way. Yeah, but, in a yeah. Quiet, but like if there's like ever a bra, Alaba sprints. He's the first one there. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I personally, I, I thought Rudiger would have started, mm. even despite seeing all of like, you know, the probable lineups that kind of from Spanish sure, papers. Sure. They all had Militao, actually. Okay. And I, even when I saw that, I was like, nah, it's got to be Rudiger because mm. he's in form. He's played a couple games in a Militao row. Militao was coming back from injury. Well, yeah. you know. But I, I think it's, you know, fairly. I personally do believe Rudiger is, if whatever combination of best back four, he is in it based on how good he is. Mm. But I think it's fair of Ancelotti also to take last season's winning formula back line and yeah. pair them in his own set of gala. Yeah. And Militao was really good before mm-hmm. he got injured against... Yeah. Was it Celtic? No. Uh, no, he was... I think it was before a game. It wasn't Mallorca he didn't play. Mallorca? Um, didn't he... He left at halftime in one of the games, right? Uh, yeah, maybe maybe it was Celtic. Maybe it was Celtic. I felt like because him and Benzema were almost yeah. on the same timeline of when yeah. they got injured. Anyways, so... But he was really good before he got injured, yeah. is my point. So I, I was definitely surprised. Mm. Um, of course, I, I, I always feel bad when Rudiger comes in for the wing-back position. He came in for Mendy this game, which is not yeah. his thing. But, you know, I got to say, like, it's got to be in some way, no one will maybe admit it, but demoralizing for a team who's trying to mm. score goals and catch up to And then you see Rudiger coming off the bench mm-hmm. to, like, enforce the back end with mm. pure energy. Like Usually it's the sort of there's always the reason for the substitution but usually the substitution is made like we're going to take off our better fullback and put on our weaker fullback or centre-back but that's less common um, so there's a drop in quality but fresher legs and that's why we're doing it this here is like okay fresher legs and maybe he's arguably as good as the player he's replacing so that like you say is, is going to be demoralising he replaces Mondi who I thought was actually really good in this game even getting forward to actually um, but you put in Rudiger and it's like, is Rudiger just as good as Mondi? Could could be. So and is he fresher at this point in the seventieth minute? For sure. So um yeah. I mean it's kind of like uh you know, Mendy is a wall defensively, but also if like if anyone tries to dribble past Rudiger on the wing, I would mm. put all my life savings on Rudiger winning yeah. the ball in that situation. It's a very, it's a very like for like sub when yeah. that happens because yeah. Rudiger is also not going to get forward and combine with. He did finishes. have one of his he famous uh, runs, sprints. He did, he did. Um, <laughs> but generally, he's going to be more of your defensive left back when he's uh, playing left back. Yeah, just like Monday. So. Yeah, and, and also, like, a right-footed centre-back mm. playing left-back is totally, like, an unnatural thing. Yeah. At least, like, when Araujo plays right-back, for example, at least yeah. he's right-footed. Can get but there's field. so many wingers playing on their weaker foot these days that, you know, it's 50-50 of, on whether the winger you're playing at is going to cut inside or go to the byline. Or, as know. long as it's not, like, Saul playing left-back and yeah. whoever was... There's, there's some weird... Just play players in their position. Like what's, Although, what what did you think of, of, of Witzel? Because we me- I mentioned him of... You have a 33-year-old defensive midfielder playing centre-back. Of the three, he wasn't, I don't think, the worst. He did quite well, I think. I thought he was um, actually good. But um, obviously, he cannot deal with the three Real Madrid forwards. But of of the Atletico defenders, I think Witzel, all season and in this game, was was a bit better. Witzel has surprised me this season in general. Mm. Because, I mean, i got to hand it to him. But I've never seen him play centre-back. No so one I, has ever. Yeah, Simeone no, just puts... Yeah. I think Simeone would yeah. just like put anyone at centre-back yeah. at this point. But I'm surprised. And also in this game, I think he was a victim of a bad decision in the first half to play a high line. Mm, yeah. And uh, I think that was difficult. But I mean, like, Witzel, who's like in this later stage of his of his career, being reinvented all of a sudden as a yeah. center back is an insane development that yeah. I never saw coming. And yeah. it's working. Like, yeah. it's working. So, um, yeah, what else do we... I'll do. I'll, I think we're at that stage where I'm going to double check my notes now. But mm. what did you? What else did you see? Um, well, yeah. So uh, Witzel sticking with him. He, he was the one that stopped the Vinicius uh, Lambretta 
attempt. Did you, you know the flick uh, of the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. rainbow flick? That's Umberta. when the stadium really uh, went nuts. Yeah. When, yeah, so he was the one that, that blocked that, which was um, one of the more interesting Ancelotti quotes, because it was the only question about Vinicius um, at all, and he did kind of criticise it, which we've kind of discussed Vinicius, but this is actually, we were kind of talking about Vinicius more in general rather than this game. But yeah, the quote from Angelotti on this was some praise and some criticism. He said, uh, uh, "I think you could, I think you could have managed the the ball better in that situation than trying to flick over Witzel, who just stood there and, and took the ball, because like you said, oh, in, yeah, that, yeah, in yeah. that moment yeah, they were passing it around really well. They were just keeping the ball a lot like the Celtic game, which even led to that yeah. thirty-three pass goal. I think Antotti would have preferred just keep possession." Um, but then he says, but I can never tell Vinicius to stop that because that's what his talent's all about. And it's his talent that got the winning goal because yeah. he um, hit the post. And Which is a correct answer. Yeah. So I, that, that's interesting. I remember, um, so this is, it'd be interesting to see if you fast forward to like when Vinicius is 30, if he's mm. going to do that again in that same situation. Mm. My guess is like he might not. But at the same time, I mean, like, Neymar still does, you know. Yeah, he does. They're not, they're very they're very very different people. But just you know, well, but Vinicius has been compared a lot to Neymar, and, sure. and Neymar still does it. So, but if you compare Neymar now to mm. what Neymar was in Brazil, for example, mm. it's comp- it's a totally different. It's not. He still does the tricks, but mm. it's less redundant. Mm. And like I think. I I com- I think Ancelotti's quote was perfect in explaining mm. that. Like you know mm. you you you're going to ha- accept these moments from Vinicius because you know what he brings to the yeah. table. Like, you can't shut it all completely mm-hmm. down. And hey, if that, what if he just pulls yeah. that off, by mm-hmm. the way, and then it's just like... And I think scores. for him, in this day with all the situation, it was important for him to try something like that once to sort of just so show the critics, show the racists that I'm still going to keep doing. If, if at that point in the game he realises he's maybe not going to get to score, not get to do a dance himself for, for his goal... It was, I think, important for him to try something to show um, I'm going to keep being me. So I think Ancelotti understands the context of that too and maybe would have preferred the pass back, but also, you know, you got to try these things and uh, it was at least for a purpose of to try and be the defender. And um, But yeah, credit to Witzel again because uh, he, he just stood there like a wall and it, it just the ball just kind of hit him. And... He's a lot more... Um... I guess like he's a lot more um, impressive in person in a weird Witzel. Mm. Um, I never that's the first time I've ever seen him play in person mm. and uh, I was actually just impressed by just like his com- command on certain yeah. things especially in the second half no you're right I saw him like first time in person like a couple of weeks ago in the the Portal Champions League game and, and yeah it was just like he looked like he was commanding the the defense just physically, but also just pointing. And it was like this guy yeah. is commanding the back three when he's never played centre back. Never mind back three in his life. Like, um, yeah, yeah, impressive guy. And should should go to the World Cup. Hopefully, he still gets to go to the World Cup because you know he was going to Belgium as a defensive midfielder, which there's not much um, <laughs> uh, tape of him playing that uh, position this season. So you know. I'm really curious to know. Like, I'm fascinated by how that transition happens. Like, what is it? I think like, it's pre-season and one day there's no centre-backs and he fills in there. And it's so like, it's by ah. accident? It was in it's pre-season. It's not like Simeone yeah, so. sitting down with them and he's like, you know what, I think you're going to be a good centre-back based I, on what yeah, I've seen. No, I don't think... I think it's accident. This is how most of these things happen. Someone fills in there yeah. in pre-season and training and then partly accident but partly also the coach being smart enough aware enough to to realize you this know. is basically what happened to lucas vasquez who's mm-hmm. now forever yeah. a right back he had to fill in because there yeah. was what two or three injured um he's the fourth option at that moment and if the coach is smart enough to see it works then it works same with young players getting called up you know they get called up to first team training because half the players are tired it's international duty whatever partly accidental that they're there but it needs also a good coach to um, identify that they're they're there and um, there's been quite a few stories of that at Atletico and Real Madrid actually in, in recent years of players playing out of position but actually doing quite well in it the uh, the only couple of things I was just looking at my notes was that I think just wanted to touch on quickly mm. was that um, you know Real Madrid like Atletico were not really pressing high mm. and they basically 
were defending in the mid block and they would allow Atletico to enter their half and as soon as they entered their half they would start pressing and hounding mm-hmm. and I think that was pretty effective effective in the first half and the one thing I really worried about but I worry about every game is our defending on set pieces was bad mm. Felipe gets a free header early there was a couple yeah. more in the first half and there that's was, why I was a little worried there was a bad Courtois punch before the one that was the yeah. goal in the first half also um, mm-hmm. just Courtois does not seem confident in his defence right now and no wonder that six La Liga games six goals conceded They're, they don't have a clean sheet this um, has been years we've just, even like like there's just free headers every game yeah. for everyone it yeah. doesn't matter and that's why like Muriki from Mallorca, Mallorca mm-hmm. I was yeah, yeah. like that guy's gonna hurt the yeah, get yeah. at least and he did and so uh, I was worried when Atletico were on their surge to end the game because mm-hmm. they got a couple set pieces and, late too I was like man a this draw from this the, would be a disaster this comes to the Hermoso red card um, we, we already talked about the all black quote was not in that sense of sure. we, we lost Hermoso so it was difficult like, yeah, yeah. He was like wait, losing Hermoso in that moment was uh, was difficult for them for the rest of the game sure but what was more important almost in the red card because there was only like five minutes left at that point uh, what was more important in the red card was that the corner they had became a free kick for Real Madrid because of the Hermoso push mm-hmm. so it's at a corner he mm, walks by Danny Ceballos who does well uh, gets Hermoso <laughs> off see wins. It yeah it was yeah. it was uh, not as bad to be fair should we say the Vinicius one on Reynaldo is this is something he needs to stop like the one in the first half where Reynaldo lifts his elbow and then like yeah it's yeah, so I didn't see that. Was it a just non-no it's contact? It's one that Vinicius, when he sees the highlights, is going to be embarrassed by how bad the dive looks because it's one of the ones where it kind of, the elbow's there, it hits it, and then there's a moment, and you know. Mm. Um, but the Ceballos, that didn't work. Um, the Ceballos won, because uh, Ronaldo was on the yellow card, so he's trying to you know get the second yellow. That didn't work. The Ceballos one absolutely worked. Goes back to what we're saying about managing the game, but more than getting Hermoso sent off, it turned a corner for Atletico into a Real Madrid free kick and they had just scored at a corner and as you say Real Madrid had looked a bit shaky at corners all day um, the delivery wasn't always good from the, the free kicks Atletico's free kicks they wasted almost all of them but the corners looked dangerous and mm. that corner late on in the game who knows what could have happened but um yeah, that was the deflating moment because after that, and then the after fans, that there was almost no more. Yeah, I think they had one more corner maybe, but that was that was it after that. Uh, as soon as the red card came out, fans started to leave their seats. Yeah, <laughs> it was like the deflating moment. Yeah. Um. Uh, you said something there that I wanted to touch on. It was interesting. Can't remember. Ah, the we mentioned this before the Simeone quote about uh, Real Madrid. So Simeone was asked about. Real Madrid mm-hmm. style of play, and he said, um, "You know, they sit, they sit back and 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 defend really well. And then on their transition, they're they're so quick, they're fantastic. Their counter attack and play is amazing. It reminds me a lot uh, of our Atletico side with uh, Diego Costa." And then he said, "But they used to criticize us." And you know, a backhanded compliment, a little bit from Simeone. Um, but at the same time, I think I think it is more of a compliment for for him because I think he looks back on that 2013-14 Atletico side thinking. I loved that side. That was an amazing side. I loved that team with Costa and we were so good in the counter-attack. One and, of the greatest defensive teams um, that's ever walked the Yeah, years. and it's the last few derbies have been like this now. It's uh, Since Ancelotti came back, it's Real Madrid sit back mostly, soak it up and uh, do quite well on the on the counter. And uh, it's weird how that has shifted in the in the derby. Even a couple of the ones with Zidane, the year in the, the COVID year. The year of the Zidane nil-nils and one-nils was really tough. Yeah. Tough. Yeah. Not for podcast purposes. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know who he thinks Diego Costa is in this Real Madrid team, but maybe it's just like all three <laughs> of them have a part of Diego Costa, like the the flair, the speed, the um, you know feistiness, the street smarts. I I did see it more of a compliment than a backhanded compliment mm. because he also said that this Real Madrid team is incisive, it's direct, it's very dangerous, mm. and I've. I've always actually kind of liked Simeone mm. <laughs> because he's always been graceful in press conferences that I've seen. Yeah, never criticizes ref in, in, in any any situation. And I like to go fans get annoyed at that even when there's like something really clear. He just doesn't speak about refs. Yeah. Respectful of coaches. Um, the, the, the handshake thing was brought up in the Ancelotti one. You know, the one that's come up with Klopp. 
a few times. He does where, that every game. Yeah, he wins or loses, he runs down. But the although I don't know if that justifies making it a good thing because he does it every game. Because yeah. I still feel like a handshake at the end is a nice. Ball. I think it, I think people only realize he did this every game, like after he'd already after been doing Klopp. it for like yeah, after Klopp, after he'd already been doing it for years. So at that point, it was too late to be. But why is why does he do that? Why yeah, is well, that okay? But at this at this point, I don't know. When you've been in charge of a club for like twelve years, maybe you can set your own traditions or something, you know. But um. Ancelotti and they do get on quite well actually. Yeah, Ancelotti didn't care. And yeah. he, he said we we had a conversation before the game and and that's uh, that's fine. So um, so yeah. on Simeone, it goes all the way back to the two thousand and fifteen Champions League final. No, mm-hmm. sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, when you know like a lot of coaches and you see this all the time mm. when they lose and they've had a lot of chances, they say we didn't deserve to lose, we deserve mm. to win, we were the better team. Sure. Simeone doesn't do that. Like mm. I, after that 2016 Champions League final, where yes. they had gone into a, a different gear and extra time, they were having yeah. a bunch of chances. Uh, he was asked in the press conference, "Was Real Madrid lucky?" And he, in his quote, well, "And I respected him ever since then." He said that um, there's no such thing as luck in football. Mm. The team who won deserves to win. That's it. They deserved it. And I, because I kinda, he's been on the other side so many times, where like. They played Barcelona. Barcelona have had twenty shots. I like to go have had two, and they won one nil or something. Yeah. So you know he could be sympathetic with it. Yeah, he's yeah. Um, you know um, dominating football is. He's spoken about it. it's a lot dominating football. What does that mean? Like mm. you know, there's different ways to dominate a football game, and this is something I think we've really seen with Real Madrid the last year, the Champions League run, and you know some of the games in the Champions League run they were outplayed by opposition. Some of the points they they did dominate the opposite team even without the possession or having more shots it's about controlling the game from a different point and to go back to this game from maybe after the first five minutes where the ball just wasn't in play it was it was feisty Real Madrid were kind of in control the entire game mm, I like to go where had territory had possession had not even really chances that's the point Real Madrid were in control they soaking up pressure and whenever they attacked they looked more dangerous and um, it's a different kind of control than maybe some fans want to see, but um, it's controlled nonetheless. Anything we missed? Probably it was a derby. There was lots yeah, going sure. on, but I think we got the most important stuff. I think. I think so. We're in over an hour, and I think we can call the night. It's yeah. uh, what is it? Almost uh, it's one thirty in the morning. Yeah. So we gotta go home, upload this, edit this. No editing. Okay. Yeah, just, just upload. Yeah, so uh, thanks for tuning in. Thank you for hosting. No problem. Um, Hope you enjoyed the coffee. Keen's having a coffee, by the way, at one thirty in the morning because you're still on it actually Canada time. It actually really helps me pops put me to sleep. No way. Uh, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, because some cause, like I can't explain it. I, there's actually a whole... You taught me the nappuccino thing. Yeah. Which I love, but like for like a nap. But like to go to proper sleep, I can't do that if I've had a coffee. Yeah, it's, I, I don't recommend it for everyone. I think it's only for coffee junkies because after mm. a certain point... Coffee just doesn't work, and in fact, it gives you a crash, and you hit the crash, and you you hit the sack. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I'm also jet lagged, so this is a bad idea. I'll probably be up to like four or five. I've been going for late night strolls at two, mm-hmm. three in the morning in Madrid. It's Sunday night though, so I don't know if there's I can do that. Like it'll be pretty dead. So it might don't think you'll see much, but maybe yeah. that's the point. Maybe it'll be nice. Um. So, yeah, we for the next in person podcast in Madrid, we the might classical, have a, probably. Classico and a nice su- surprise. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Uh, so thanks for hosting. No problem. As always, thanks for listening and tuning in. Uh, just some housekeeping notes. Lucas and I are not doing our Monday podcast this week. We're pushing it to Tuesday because I'm traveling. So um, going back to Canada and we just can't record. So we'll probably record Tuesday. And oh, it's international break. Yeah. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening, guys. Take care. Thanks. All right, before we wrap it up here and send you guys along on your way, we wanted to give a quick shout out to our patrons over on patreon.com slash managing who do so much to support the show and they also get a ton of bonus content. If that's something you're interested in and being part of a bigger Real Madrid family, again, go to patreon.com slash managing Madrid. And we wanted to give a specific shout out to our $10 plus patrons because if you pledge $10 or more per month, you get a specific shout out on the podcast as well as guaranteed responses to your questions. So... Shout out to Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Wei Pering, Will Sousa, Wamik Jamal, Umar Mahadi, Tyler Dixon, Tobias Royal Botcher, Tark Goktas, Taleb Salhab, 
Tahmid Kalam, Sushank Damala, Sujai Wani, Sumanchu Singh, Sherry Soriel, Sheikh Atiri, Shamil, Shabal Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorsano, Samuli Justin, Samir Z, Said Mahad, Sai Mohan, Sasi Kumar, Rodrigo Balmaceda, Rishi D, Phoenix, Peter Powell, Paulo Fierro, Patrick Adayafadi, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicolas Zapatero Zubiare, Nicholas Moller, Nick Ribeiro, MJ Diego, Mowgli, uh, Nelson Masariego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Matthew Atkins, Martin Ridman, Magnus Lex, Logan Stahl, Leon Stavernakis, Kunal Tilakar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Ian Marley, Graham Gerard, Gary Kohut, Frederick Antakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Khan P., Christian Toth, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Ashik Bashar, Armin Gashi, Armando L., Antons Rudenko, Anirut Singh, Ananya Kumar, Alex Steiberg, Al Azaz Hussein, Adrian Rios, Adar Zalukovic, Adam Dorsey, Bella Chow, Varun, Ramtin, Mahrud, Fabian Moreno, and Daniel Smith. We love you guys so much. Thank you so much. Hala Madrid, and we'll see you on the post-game podcast after the Atlantic game.